Uh, gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us today, and that you would challenge us today. Uh, that you would help us know that once we were lost and now we are found, and yet there still are the lost, and they still need to be found. So we pray that you would help us to hear your voice as we go through your scriptures today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Billy Graham tells uh, a story of a time when Albert Einstein was going on a train trip to an out-of-town engagement, uh, and the conductor stopped by to punch his ticket. The great scientist, preoccupied with his work, with great embarrassment, rummaged through his pockets and, and his briefcase, and to no avail, he, he couldn't find his ticket. The conductor said, we all know who you are, Dr. Einstein. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's okay. Uh, I'll just keep moving on down the train. The conductor walked down the aisle, punching other tickets. But before he moved on to the next car, he looked back and he saw Dr. Einstein down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat, trying to find his ticket. He came back and gently said, Dr. Einstein, please don't, don't worry about it. I, I know who you are. And Einstein looked up and said, I know who I am as well. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> Which is the problem sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes even the smartest of us can end up lost, even with GPS and Google Maps and all the rest. We may know who we are. We, know, we may even know what we do, but we may not know where we are or where we're going. But what might it be for us to live as if we're found? That's what I want us to be looking at and talking about a bit today. Before we do, though, I want to just let you know that we are winding down this long summer series uh, as we've been looking at the parables of Jesus. Jesus taught in many different ways, but among them was through these use of parables, these short little stories, these everyday stories that he would sort of just drop in the middle of a teaching or a time. And it was up to the listeners to then pick that up and try and figure out what he was talking about. This was one of the primary ways that he taught the disciples what it means to be disciples. It's one of the primary ways that he taught the disciples what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God. But they had the option. You don't have to pick up a parable. You could just let it lie. But if you do, you miss out. You miss out on what it's teaching and how it's trying to change us. Of course, as we've been talking about all summer long, one of the biggest challenges for us is that these stories have been told over and over and over again. Today is one of those parables. One that you've heard many, many, many times, and you've heard many, many, many sermons on it. And therefore, the problem with that is we hear the parable and we say, oh yeah, I know that one. I've done that one. I, I've lived that one. I'm done with that one. Except the parable may not be done with us. And so we have to dig in. We have to allow Jesus to speak even to us, even today, through something even familiar because maybe he still has something that he wants to do in our hearts. And so if you would, I would invite you and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. 
What's more, because this one is so familiar, uh, we've been handing out a book now to visitors for more than a decade. Uh, I have about... let's pretend 20 or 30 minutes left, uh, on, on getting to tell you about this parable. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, uh, the late Pastor Tim Keller, uh, wrote a book that's phenomenal that we've been handing out for a long time. Now, if you have not picked one up, uh, you should grab one of those books and read it. It is phenomenal. So please, that's an invitation to get a better sermon later, but it's longer, so that's the trade-off there. Um, but let us read now from Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, And kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Going all the way back to the beginning, because context is key here. The context of our story of these parables is that Jesus is out there eating with sinners. And the Pharisees, understandably, are grumbling about this. And before we start to grumble about them, let's recognize that we might be doing the same thing. If we were to find out that our elders, or God forbid your pastor, had been hanging out with some undesirables, some 'er ne'er-do-wells, some sinners, or living large in some questionable venues in Vegas, that would probably cause you to raise an eyebrow or two, right? I mean, it's one thing to do ministry to a certain population. It's a whole other thing to spend time with them fraternize with them, like them, be with them. Except that's what Jesus is doing here, which is why we're not actually surprised that the religious are having a problem with it, at which point Jesus tells three parables. There's a shepherd, he has a hundred sheep, one gets lost, so he leaves the 99 and he goes to the one, and when he finds the one who was lost, he brings him home in joy and he celebrates. There's a woman, she has ten coins. One gets lost, she flips the house upside down in order to find the coin that has been lost. And when she finds it, she throws a party with her friends. Finally, there's a father who has two sons. One takes his share of the inheritance and squanders it. But after a time, he returns and the father welcomes him back home. Of course, there's another son as well, and this other son wasn't so excited about the return of his prodigal brother, but the father goes out to this son as well and invites him back home, and maybe more significantly, invites him into the celebration, invites him to welcome his brother back. For our purposes today, I want us to try and look back through these three parables through three different facets. I want us to talk first about lostness, then I want us to look at foundness before finally looking at a response and maybe even a little invitation as well. But we need to start with lostness. And as we do, we notice the brilliance of Jesus here. Because on the one hand, all three parables are telling the same basic story. Something got lost, then it got found. But on the other hand, There are some fascinating distinctions between these different parables, and these insights may end up being helpful to us. Here's what I mean. Notice the differences in the kinds of lostness that we see in this passage. We start with that lost sheep. How does a sheep get lost? And the answer is, obviously, sheep wander. It's not willful. It's not 
deliberate. It's not malicious. It's not disobedient. It's, it's just that sometimes sheep get distracted. They put their heads down, they start eating, and, and they keep eating, and they keep eating. And it's not till they finally look up that they realize, I don't know where, this is not where I started, and this is not where I, I was supposed to be. The sheep end up lost because they get distracted. But notice how that's different from the coin. The coin was presumably just misplaced. It fell into one of the cracks in the stones or into a corner of the beaten earth floor. Or, or maybe something fell on top of it, buried it, hid it. Or maybe it was put somewhere special, someplace very unique, but then life interrupted and now it's still particularly safe in that spot. We just don't remember where we put it. I wonder if you know this kind of lostness, to feel overlooked. Which brings us to the third type. <coughs> and here we find the one that we would at first expect when we start talking about lostness, it's disobedience. I know what's right, I know what's kosher, I know what's appropriate, I know what is good, and I choose to not do that. I choose to do something else instead. And I end up lost. Lost from myself. Lost from my community, lost from my God. The problem in all of these parables is that sometimes, even we, in a lot of different ways, we end up lost. We're all made to be part of a larger whole, a flock, a fellowship, a family. We weren't meant to be distant or divided or alone, but we wander. We hide, we disobey, and then we end up lost, such that we need to be found. So we'll need help. So let's see what Jesus then does with foundness. And again, we see His brilliance here because of all of the different ways that the finding happens. Again, we begin with the shepherd, because the shepherd leaves where he is and goes to where the lost sheep has gone in order to find the one who was lost. The shepherd doesn't stay. The sh shepherd doesn't just wait or wish, but instead we, we actively go and search for that missing sheep. As one commentator pointed out, we need to remember also that, that this is a parable, and so we shouldn't get too caught up in what is not there. It's a short story for a reason with a purpose, because at first glance, some of us then read this parable and say, whoa, 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 what about the other 99? You just left them there. But that's missing the point. Of course, the shepherd left them somewhere safe, with a person who was safe, back near home safe. He's not leaving his sheep on a cliff near a pack of wolves in the middle of the night when the forest is on fire. But more than that, notice how reassuring it would be if you were one of the not lost sheep, to know how far your shepherd is willing to go in order to find you had you been lost. Notice how much value the shepherd places on each of the sheep. What a comfort that would have been, not just for the one who was lost, but those who were still found. 
But that's not the only way foundness happens because notice our second parable, the woman doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't leave. She doesn't go after the one who was lost far away. She, she goes to extraordinary lengths right there where she is, right there at home to find the one who has been lost. And she turns that house upside down. She lights lamps. She sweeps. She, she bangs on rugs. She searches everywhere. She leaves no stone unturned until it is found. And let's recognize this is just a, one small coin, not insignificant, surely, but not a bag of gold either. We're talking about, again, a, a day's wage or so. She's got 10 stored and one goes missing. It, it's worth noting she's, she's poor, but she's doing okay. She's probably about average. And yet, despite the small value, it is clearly valuable to her. And she shows it by the ferocity of her search. She is diligent. She is driven. She is determined to find what was lost. But then Jesus turns our understanding of foundness again, and we turn to the story of the prodigals. And here Jesus adds some nuance and even some surprise, because the son's lostness is a product of wanting to be away from the father, which means that if the father forcefully follows, the son isn't actually free, because in some ways the son is trying to be lost. That being said, we also find a father standing on his porch looking and longing for the return of his son. And while he's still a long way off, not when he knocks on the door, not when he's walking down the way, but while he's still a long way off, which means the father has been paying attention. His father sees him and is filled with compassion for him and runs to his son and throws his arms around him and kisses him. The father has been waiting and hoping to welcome his son back in, which is why he immediately incorporates him back into the family, reinstates his status as a son, and helps everyone recognize that this one who was lost has been found, this one who has been cut off has been restored, this one who was dead is alive again. And, and of course, in all of these stories, Jesus is painting a picture of God here. The lengths that God would go to to see us found the lengths that God would go to to spend that effort for us, the, the strength with which God welcomes us back as He seeks that even we, you and I, be found. Which then finally brings us to the response, the response to being found. Because in each story, there's a, a restoration that takes place and a celebration that happens. Both the sheep and the son are reinstated back into the flock and into the family. In other words, it's not just that the lost ones are found. It's that they're brought back in. That which was separate is now restored. That which was divided is now made whole. That which was broken has now been repaired. Because, of course, this is the real work of finding. It's not enough that they are just discovered. 
It's that they are made unlost. That they are not lost anymore. And what's more, as then the found, it becomes our job to be restored. To not wander off again. To not go and try and hide the next time. To choose to not be lost again. But then maybe more than that, we see the heart of the shepherd and the woman and the father and really God in how they respond. By throwing a party, by inviting friends, by experiencing joy. There is a celebration here. Because, of course, finding and restoring isn't a a duty. It's not a wearying work. It's not something that is owed. Instead, this is simply what found ones do. It's how found ones respond. This is an important reminder that maybe too often we are getting some part of our faith wrong, particularly as Presbyterians, because we are not known for having our happiness get the better of us. We are are not a people who celebrate and party when something was lost and then it gets found. We are not a, a people known for our experience of joy in the looking and in the finding. And yet that is who we are called to be because that's who our Father is. Because this one who was lost has been found, and this is how we respond to the finding. Of course, before we're done, we need to hear the invitation that's hidden in these parables. Because, of course, someone else has been lost, and someone else is found, and someone else is invited to respond, and that's us. That's the Pharisees. Because if you haven't seen the brilliance of Jesus yet, this is where it starts to shine. Remember the context of our parables. Jesus is hanging out with some undesirables, some less than reputables, some 'er ne'er-do-wells, some other generally lost people, and the Pharisees rightly are confused and upset and offended. And to address this, Jesus tells these three parables about how far God would go in order to find the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. But then Jesus tacks on one more lost one at the end of the parables because there's another son in the story, one who is not so happy about the father's extravagance or the son's return or the scandal of foundness. And this son rightly remains outside, judging, appalled, suspicious, upset, and lost. And again, we see the amazing love of God at work as the father goes out to this son too and invites this beloved son back in to the party, to the celebration, to the way of foundness. But of course, Jesus isn't talking about his the son, he's, he's talking about the Pharisees, he's talking about us. Because this story then invites not just them, but, but even us to join in this work of restoration, this work of finding, this work of joy. And don't assume that this is only talking about lostness 
in the sense of being outside of the faith and foundness being inside of the faith. I think this is the other mistake we Presbyterians sometimes make. Because there's a lot of different kinds of lostness, as we just talked about. Think about the times when you feel lost in life. Presumably, you've been a Christian for a long time now, so that's not the kind of lostness we are necessarily talking about. But sometimes we feel lost when we're overwhelmed, when, when there are changes at work or in life, when a relationship gets hard when life circumstances change, when we feel alone, when we feel depressed, when our health changes, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're sinning, when we feel busy, when we feel buried. These are all times that we, even we, feel lost. And maybe, hopefully, you're not there right now, but but the people around you probably are. The people here in this room, the people you work with, people in your family, people you are just around. They can tell you more about what it means to, to feel like you're lost. And maybe what Jesus is doing even here is inviting us to be the kind of people who help the lost feel found. Bring them back in. Restore what was broken. Heal what is hurting. Inviting and reinstating them back into the family of God. That's who we're called to be. That's the invitation here in these parables. We are the kind of people who go out and bring back. We are the kind of people who turn things upside down in order to restore. We are the kind of people who scandalously and graciously restore even prodigals back into the family. Because the reality is we were and sometimes still are lost but our God is one who finds us and brings us back in, which is why we then partner with Him as He goes back out to find the others that are lost. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank you for the ways that you move in our lives. We thank you that even though we have been lost, we were lost, sometimes even we are lost, you are the God who finds us and then celebrates and then restores us and then brings us back or shape us to be that kind of people that we might see those who are lost and that we would have a heart to restore them back to you. Lord, make us more like Jesus in this. We pray all these things in His strong name. Amen.